Hello, everybody, and welcome to Joyfully You Podcast. I am so excited because we have a special guest with us today. We have Natalie Englander. So Natalie is a principal cognitive behavioral therapist, a mindfulness teacher, and a mental health consultant. She has her own private practice offering one-on-one therapy and mindfulness courses, and she's also a deputy clinical lead for an NHS mental health service. She helps women feel good and specializes in perfectionism, self-esteem and anxiety. I'm so glad that you are here with us, Natalie. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, this is so exciting to be able to talk about these things because these are topics that come up a lot um, with the women that I listen to and also in my own life, right? And I I didn't really self-identify with a lot of these things until starting my learning about personal development and deciding to want to understand why I was a certain way and some of the things that were holding me back from going after my dreams and my goals. And so I'm just so excited to connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think particularly with perfectionism, often people don't actually identify with it or know that they are a perfectionist until maybe you do a bit of reading, a bit of research, and then you're kind of like, "Mm, okay, Maybe I am a perfectionist. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had um, a trainer. I was doing like an emotional intelligence workshop and a trainer was like, okay, you guys are all sitting together because you're a perfectionist. And I was like, I don't do anything perfect. <laughs> That's literally what all perfectionists say. They're like, I'm not a perfectionist because I'm not perfect or because I don't do things perfectly. <laughs> So good. Oh yeah. It was definitely eye-opening to be like, oh. So I'd love to hear, like, how did you get into doing this work? You know, what what's a little bit of your journey and story that's led you here? Yeah. Um, so I think it was pretty much from when I was a teenager that I'd already just sort of decided, right, I want to be a therapist. I don't really know why I'd come to that conclusion. I think definitely studying psychology at A level, I thought was fascinating and just so interesting and I'm probably quite nosy in that you know I I like to kind of know things know people's stories um and then I think I I do I guess have, have a tendency to like helping people and and talking to people so it just kind of seemed like that was what I wanted to do I didn't even really kind of think about it or question it It was just like yep that's what I want to do um and so then from there in probably true perfectionist (laughs) style just sort of set my mind to it um studied psychology at at university which was great um and then just went on to my CBT training and I guess there are so many different types of of therapies or I guess different types of therapist but I really love CBT because it seemed kind of quite focused in the here and now and just on like tools and strategies and let's actually kind of get shit done let's make some changes and and move forwards um and then I think it was maybe like a couple years into being a CBT therapist that then I started to discover mindfulness which I absolutely love um so went on to do my mindfulness teacher training and then kind of here I am a decade later into being a therapist um gosh I can't actually believe it's been a decade that makes me feel a bit old (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, it's a surreal moment to be like, wow, I've been in the game for quite a while. Yes. Yeah, definitely. But I think having um, sort of the opportunity to learn mindfulness and incorporate it has just made things so much more, I guess, exciting and, and interesting, I find, in being a therapist, because I guess you're drawing on a different sort of modality and, and different techniques. And I think CBT is fabulous. Obviously, maybe I'm a bit biased as a CBT therapist, but it doesn't always work for everyone necessarily. And it's nice to be able to offer something else and and use mindfulness. Um, and I think for me, probably mindfulness, I'm trying to think why I sort of got into it. I think it was just from my own personal experiences of kind of hearing about mindfulness. Um, you know, lots of people talk about it. Even 10 years ago, it was kind of just starting as like, wow, everyone seems to be into mindfulness. I wanted to check it out for myself um, and definitely found it really useful and I actually did a course myself, the course that I now run and offer, the um, eight-week mindfulness-based cognitive therapy course. That's what I initially did. Um, and I thought, this is great. This is really useful. Um, so I guess that kind of inspired me to then train in it myself and offer it to everyone else, hopefully. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So I'd love to hear kind of about perfectionism. You know, what are some of the things that you see? Because since some people don't obviously self-identify, because that was me, I did not I self-identify. I remember I was kind of like, that's so weird. I'm so not that person, you know. I'm Um, so not perfect. I can't. I'm so not perfect. Yes. (laughs) And so can you kind of share like what are some of those behind the scene things that are, I guess, um, ways of being that people with perfectionism often have and maybe some things that strategies or, or not, maybe just mindsets and things that have supported you in yeah. that journey as well. Yeah. Well, I think a really helpful distinction um, that I find useful, particularly when, when talking to clients or on my Instagram and things is to think about how often a perfectionist will have high standards but you could have someone else who has high standards, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're a perfectionist. So I guess the difference, it's not about having high standards or kind of um, striving for excellence or being a high achiever or kind of wanting to do your best and, and be the best. I guess the difference with a perfectionist is that your self-worth is based on your ability to meet those high standards and often the kind of pursuit of those high standards or the pursuit of excellence is kind of relentlessly pursued despite the huge cost that it might be having on you despite the huge cost to your sort of well-being and your mental health so even if you're absolutely exhausted you're still going to go 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 strive 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 um even if you can see you're actually not spending as much time relaxing or socializing seeing your friends and family because you're just so focused on kind of achieving I guess that for me is sort of the difference between what makes someone perhaps a perfectionist versus maybe a high achiever or someone who likes to have high standards or kind of do things well Mm. or try and do things perfectly Um, and I think another thing as well is often when we think of perfectionists or perfectionism on the surface we think it's all about wanting to be perfect and do things perfectly and yes okay there's definitely a big part of that that is true but actually for me I 
I kind of think of it more as it's less about wanting to be perfect. It's maybe more about wanting, not wanting to be not good enough. Essentially, it's it, it kind of all comes back to and all comes down to that not good enough feeling that we're wanting to try and and sort of not come true, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. So, so then everything kind of doesn't feel enough, right? Yeah. Oh, and that, I mean, that so happens with perfectionists that most of the time, not all, not all the time, but a lot of the time they do actually meet their really high standards. Um, but rather than thinking, well done me, that's great. Cool. Let's go and relax. They kind of think, right, on to the next thing. Or they think, oh, well, maybe that was too easy. Next time I'm going to raise the bar even higher. Or if they don't meet their standards, then it's usually just lots and lots of self-criticism, beating yourself up and kind of feeling like, well, there you go, I'm not good enough. Um, so it's it's kind of it's kind of lose-lose. Yeah. Even if you meet your standards, you kind of just work yourself even harder. Um, and then if you don't, you feel really rubbish. It's so surreal hearing it um, spoken back because that was definitely the cycle that I was in 10 years ago. It was all or nothing. I'm either great or I can be greater. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's so perfectionistic, that sort of black and white thinking or that all or nothing thinking. That's a common cognitive distortion or um, what we call unhelpful thinking style in perfectionist. Very black or white kind of you either get 100% and it's perfect and amazing or anything less is you've you've failed yes yes oh my gosh and it'd be so interesting because I would have these intensely high standards for myself but then I would have lower standards for other people and that's when I started to learn about the self-worth and the self-esteem attachment can you start can you share a little bit more about that because I think self-worth and self-esteem is just as um uh, diff- not difficult to self-identify, but it's just tricky because it's not this obvious, tangible thing. Like when I first realized like, oh, do I have a self-worth issue? It was kind of this thing of like, oh my God, no. Oh, wait. But all my relationships are showing me I do, even though mentally, emotionally, I'm like, no, I, I have com- I'm a confident woman. I am this because I had so many achievements that I felt identified by. But then in my personal relationships, it was another story. Like, do you, can you kind of, do you find, do you see that? Like, can you share and elaborate on that? Yeah, I guess. And it's interesting because sometimes you can experience perfectionism or be a perfectionist in just maybe one domain. It doesn't necessarily have to be across all areas of your life. Like you might just be a perfectionist at work, but then not so much at home. More often it tends to be kind of widespread um, but I think the the sort of bit around self-esteem, um, I actually often talk to some of the women I work with about dormant low self-esteem. And I guess what that is, is maybe similar to what you were describing in that on the surface, and even if you try and stop and think a bit deeper, that generally everything feels fine. I don't feel terrible about myself. Like, I'm fine. I'm doing well. I'm confident. I've achieved all these things. This is great. But 
perhaps deeper, deeper, deeper down, something that we're maybe not even particularly aware of day to day or or even conscious of, is that there might be that kind of little secret, I'm not good enough belief down below. Um, and often when things are going well, then it's fine. It just kind of stays stays nicely hidden, hidden and dormant down there. It's not until something kind of goes wrong or doesn't work out that then it can become activated and then it's kind of more in the forefront of our mind. Okay, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Um, versus people who kind of have more obvious low self-esteem, they will literally walk in and, you know, tell you, I feel like I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. Um, whereas that's maybe not always necessarily the case with perfectionists. Mm-hmm. It can sort of be, be either or. But, yeah, I think it's that what I like to refer to as that dormant low (laughs) self-esteem. Yeah, that's such an interesting way of putting it. I like that a lot because I definitely can relate with that. And I I have a feeling a lot of listeners can as well because it's not an obvious thing. Mm. Yep, absolutely. I think I can definitely relate to that a lot, similar to what you were saying. You know, on the surface, yeah, great. I do feel good enough. All is good. Um, But thinking back to kind of, pre-therapy days and the start of having therapy uh, then you might dig a bit deeper and start to say "Mm, okay maybe I do actually deep down feel like I'm not good enough for whatever reason or to do with early experiences or anything like that Um, so sometimes it's not until you stop and kind of you know really think about it or have therapy to explore it that you see hmm maybe Mm -hmm. it is there yeah yeah and it's interesting, the different things that activate it, you know, and mm. it's, it's even the smallest of things. And like something that I've noticed with certain friends and certain clients and different people that I've worked with was, is when it comes down to doing things for other people, it's this above and beyond, I'll sleep when I'm dead, got to get it done. But then when it's doing things for ourselves individually, and that's why I like to focus a lot around self-love because all of a sudden it's like, why is it more difficult to do things for yourself than it is for other people? And like, for me, I, that's where I started to identify, oh, there is a disconnect in self-worth if I'm able to show up for other people versus myself. And so that's been one of the biggest things of my personal development journey is learning how to activate commitment. And by activating commitment, I had to face all the fears, the fear of judgment, the fear of rejection, the fear of failure and dancing with all those. Um, So like, I don't have a therapy background. I'm just like my own self-discovery process. So that's why it's like, I was excited to interview you because I'm like, oh, I wonder what this looks like from a therapy perspective you know and it's interesting you were saying then about kind of noticing that for other people you can sort of show up and and do things but you were noticing that then when it was yourself it was a lot harder to do that and kind of yeah questioning and thinking well why why is that um and I think that it can come back to that idea of of self-worth but self-love as well because I guess I kind of think of self-love as that appreciation for yourself and kind of care for yourself. And so then if you don't have that self-love, then why would you potentially be sort of automatically doing all the actions associated with that? I guess that's when I kind of think of like self-care. Um, you, you sort of need to have the self-love there in the first place 
to even want to or be motivated to do the sort of the actions associated with it, the self-care, actually looking after yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because for me, it was a lot of addictions in the past. You know, mm. I was smoking, like when I, uh, especially like early 20s and stuff like that, that I'd be like, why do I keep doing this thing that's destructive? I'm curious, do you ever work with anyone that has like, you know, subtle addictions and in, involving like with perfectionism? Like, how would you approach help supporting someone if they're wanting to show up for themselves, wanting to have those actions of self care and like overcoming perfectionism? Um, how would you approach that? Yeah. I guess, I mean, it's definitely a process. Obviously, there are kind of tools and techniques and things that you can sort of do, which are absolutely useful. But I think it's really therapy where you can dig a lot deeper and kind of get to the root of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess for me, it does come back to those beliefs that people hold about themselves deep down or in CBT, we refer to them as core beliefs. So that might be the kind of the I'm not good enough. I'm unlovable. I'm worthless. I'm stupid, whatever it might be. Um, So really working on those core beliefs, but actually not just focusing on those, but also looking at all the rules that tend to come with those beliefs. So I guess what I mean by that is often if we have a core belief, for example, I'm not good enough, then we might have lots of rules about how we kind of should be or need to be in order to make sure that we are good enough. So I might have rules. I must be um, perfect all the time. I must always get 100%. I should never upset anyone. I should do this. Should, should, should must, 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 all the kind of what we call the shoulds and musts. Um, And perfectionists have so many rules. Um, You know, all clients can have certain negative core beliefs and rules for living, but when you meet a perfectionist, they'll usually have the longest list of the different rules. Um, So in therapy, we'd kind of unpick those rules and sort of try and make them a bit more flexible and adjust them, come up with something that's more balanced. And then really it's about going out there and trying to live by these new rules, um, doing all the things that you probably haven't been doing because of of your rules, the things that have been holding you back. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I guess, you know, therapy is diff- difficult and you've got to put yourself out there and now try and start being more flexible, um, tolerating uncomfortable emotions. But you know, you can get really quite specific, even if, um, I'm trying to think of an example, if you've got a rule that, you know, I should always be punctual, otherwise people will think I'm a failure, for example. So that person might always feel the need to turn up sort of half an hour early just to make sure that they don't break their rule about being punctual. So then you might encourage them, right, let's be a bit more flexible here. Why don't you try and turn up on time, not half an hour before, on time? Um, Or actually, if you really want to push the boat out, why don't you try and turn up five minutes late and see what happens? (laughs) So kind of experiment, test, test things out. Um, And I think that's why I love CBT, because it's not just talking about it in the therapy. It's then kind of, okay, now let's go out there and do things in between the sessions to sort of, 
actually put the learning into into practice mm, yeah it's so important because it's like understanding it in theory but then actually looking at how it relates and applies do you ever use like are you have you learned how to become your own therapist in certain ways where you can like hear the part you know learn how because for me it's coaching myself and I coach myself through journaling you know where I notice and I, I other questions that I would ask someone else if they're sitting in front of me do you ever do that with yourself like do you find yourself with some of these perfectionist tendencies and that's why you focus on it you know I'm curious yeah yeah absolutely I mean I definitely describe myself as a recovering perfectionist um so yes, okay, I've been taught and studied and learned lots about perfectionism, but I always think it's helpful if you can really, really understand by having been there yourself. Um, and so I certainly kind of use a lot of what I've learned on myself. Um, I think actually what I found most useful for my perfectionism is mindfulness, because I guess CBT would sort of encourage encourage me to challenge my negative thoughts and maybe come up with something a bit more balanced. Whereas if there are certain thoughts that you have that just keep coming the same one over and over again, then sometimes a mindfulness approach can be more helpful because rather than getting caught up in it and trying to challenge it and come up with something you know more flexible and balanced, mindfulness would actually just have you kind of acknowledge that the thought is there, label that it's there, and then try and let it go by focusing your attention back into the present moment and almost bringing humor into it. Like, there's the I'm not good enough thought. Hey, thanks for coming. Cool. Now I'm going to go back to focusing on something else. Um, so I think definitely using using mindfulness in that way for any sort of self-critical thoughts is is particularly useful Mm -hmm. but just even being aware um just even noticing and recognizing that you're having unhelpful thoughts is like is huge that's the first step just being able to notice because so often there's so much stuff going around floating around in our heads that we just don't really pay attention to um we just kind of notice the effects like our mood has dropped or we're feeling frustrated with ourselves, or we're smoking, binge eating, Netflixing for hours on end. Um, And often that's because there's maybe some stuff going through our minds, but we're not aware of it. So I think just becoming more aware has Mm, definitely been really useful. And with things like journaling, um, having your own therapy for sure is useful. I've definitely found that useful. Do you have a a specific like meditation practice that you do regularly or what is your mindfulness um, rituals and routines look like? Yeah, good question. So I guess definitely sitting down and doing longer meditation practices is great, but equally I'm super busy. That definitely does not happen every day amazing for any mindfulness teachers out there who do sit and absolutely consistently every day do like a 45 minute meditation I don't have time to fit that in so I definitely do them but I say the one that I find most useful that I can include every day is just a three minute breathing space um it's sort of like a one of the famous 
um, mindfulness practices. If you do a mindfulness course, it will talk to you loads about it. Um, but it's really just where you kind of take a minute or three minutes um, to just pause. And the first step is just noticing what's going on for me right now. How am I feeling? How does my body feel? What thoughts are around? Kind of what's like the weather pattern in my mind like? Is it a nice sunny day or is it a bit dark and stormy? Um, so just noticing. And then the second step is moving into gathering your awareness around the breath. So you're just focusing on your breathing, breathing in, breathing out. Um, and then the third step is kind of expanding your awareness around the breath to taking your whole body. So you're just aware of the body as a whole, sitting here on your chair, in your room, kind of feet on the floor, grounding you to the earth. Um, and I often ask myself at the end, before I open my eyes, how can I best take care of myself? Because usually I may be doing a breathing space if I'm suddenly feeling a bit stressed or pissed off about something, I'll do a breathing space. Um, so I think asking that question, how can I best take care of myself in, in the next moments of my day is really useful. Mm, that's so powerful. I love that so much because that's been a big, being able to ask the questions and then it's like, well, where's that answer coming from? And it's coming from our own inner wisdom that, that, that greater knowing. And I I think when we have the mindfulness to slow down the meditation practice, whether it be three minutes or 45 minutes, you know, whatever that space is learning how to calm the critical thoughts and Mm. ask better questions is so powerful. Yeah. And I think that's why journaling can be so great because there are so many different ways you can journal. And obviously you can just open open your journal and get writing kind of free flow see what comes up but I guess you can also journal by using specific prompts that are sort of tailored for helping you ask exactly those sorts of right questions to to really get you thinking um and yeah asking yourself those sorts of questions how can I take care of myself and seeing seeing what comes up Mm -hmm. have you ever had answers surprise you Definitely, because I think, uh, particularly as a recovering perfectionist, often your sort of your go to answer might be, well, I need to just get this stuff done or I need to do this. You know, I can best take care of myself if I just get on with it, work hard, get it done and then I can relax. It's always that then I can relax. Um, So I guess not so surprising anymore but initially of just when the answer is just slow down or just do nothing go and rest and relax and it kind of feels like counterintuitive because you feel like no no I want to want to keep going I don't want to rest or relax but actually that's what you really need is to just stop and just leave it until another day yeah, it challenges all those beliefs around like rest equals lazy versus like resting uh-huh. is productive. I know. I I genuinely have to remind myself of that every day. Like resting is not lazy. Mm-hmm. You need to rest. Um, and often actually it's funny when I am working with perfectionists, particularly I guess if the perfectionism is very, very ingrained 
and the thought of taking a rest is just awful, then I kind of like to challenge it a bit by getting someone to see that actually you're going to be much more productive and much more likely to reach these goals and high standards if you do take better care of yourself and if you do rest. Um, So even though it's not ideal, you know, we want someone to think, I deserve to rest. It doesn't mean I'm lazy. If at the beginning you kind of have to fake it till you make it and you're actually thinking, okay, I'm resting because it's going to help me actually mm-hmm. achieve what I want to achieve, then then fine. If that's what kind of gets the foot in the door, <laughs> then, then yes. go for it. It has to be that permission slip. And I think for, you know, I, I call myself a recovering perfectionist too. I like to know what the use of something is. And so over time, I started to notice, wow, when I rest, when I go slow in the morning, when I remove like technology from, you know, not being so stimulated mentally and emotionally, um, creative ideas start to come. So then all these positive associations started to come with, wow. And, and I started in the beginning because that resting and going slow was really difficult for me until I hit burnout. And then I ricocheted opposite end of no responsibility, no time frame. I'm moving to another country, you know? So it was like, it was a, it was a greater all or nothing. All or nothing. <laughs> yes. It's like the all or nothing on a micro level that we see. And then the all or nothing on a macro level. Um, yeah. But I started using the affirmation of um, my creativity thrives when I rest. Resting is smart and it's safe to relax. It's safe to relax. Mm -hmm. It's safe to rest because there'd be something inside of me that would say, you know, it's not safe or, but the mental thought would be more like you're going to get behind. And so I challenged that of some of those rules there are rules. Yeah. If you rest, yeah. you'll get behind. If you rest, yeah. you'll look lazy. If you rest, you will, you know, just, yeah, all of these different rules and associations. And it's interesting, like with meditation and journaling, mindfulness, it's like, whoa, where did that come from? It's like the rules below the surface that we didn't know we were operating with. It was so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I often think of it like an onion. You kind of have the the sort of the self-critical thoughts, the negative thoughts, you maybe tend to notice those. They're kind of the surface layer. But then if you peel them back a bit more, then you start to see the rules and then you peel a bit more and that's kind of the core belief there in the middle. Um, but yeah, I think that burnout is such a, a common issue for perfectionists, just constantly heading towards or feeling burnt out and then kind of swinging to completely the other side but then you're kind of resting but you're not really resting because you're actually just sort of beating yourself up about it the whole time thinking avoiding (laughs) yeah yeah exactly or yeah this is when the this is this is when the uh, procrastination starts to come in and this is kind of the the tie I've found like so I'd, I'd love to hear from your perspective of you know the connection between perfectionism and procrastination yeah so I mean procrastination again it's not just perfectionists of course that procrastinate and there can be various different reasons but in terms of how it links to perfectionism um is I guess a perfectionist is usually wanting to do things very well or perfectly let's say they need to do an essay or a a piece of work for something often a perfectionist might procrastinate because what's going on deep down underneath is kind of fear that it's not going to be good enough or that it's 
it's going to be rubbish or they're going to fail. And so that that pressure is then just so intense that it then becomes really quite unpleasant. And so you're sort of procrastinating, putting it off, waiting until a time where you feel like right now's the right time for me to do this perfect piece of work that's going to be amazing. Um, or you're also kind of then procrastinating because you're avoiding an uncomfortable feeling. Um, and lots of people, I think, tend to think of, you know, procrastination, you're, you're putting things off. It's maybe because the task is too big or um, it, it just feels a bit too overwhelming. But actually, a lot of the time underneath it, it's a it's almost like a bit of an inability to tolerate uncomfortableness or uncomfortable feelings. So procrastination is like a big form of avoidance. Um, and that's why often then we might procrastinate with things like watching TV, um, eating or doing anything and everything other than the thing that we're meant to be doing because Mm -hmm. that creates uncomfortable feelings, whether it's bringing up, oh, this isn't good enough or I'm going to fail or even just other feelings like this is boring, it's not enjoyable. We just just try and avoid it all. Um, Yeah, I mean, procrastination is a big one for perfectionists for sure I can definitely understand and relate to procrastination (laughs) sometimes I just drive myself insane with procrastination (laughs) (laughs) and it's such that thing of noticing right when it's like oh I'm procrastinating right now okay now I know and especially since we are in um, this line of work you know coaching therapy once we realize we've done it we can't not look at it Yeah, exactly. It's kind of just like, oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And I think particularly, again, mindfulness is so useful because I guess at the root of procrastination is that sort of um, drive to avoid discomfort, unpleasantness, uncomfortable feelings. Um, And mindfulness really gets you to try and recognize that and sit with feelings and not try and latch on to the positive um, too much, not try and push away the aversion too much, just to sort of allow things to be. Um, so again, I think using mindfulness for, for procrastination can be really useful. And obviously then there's the kind of, you know, the more practical strategies, like various different ways that you can work around it um, and figuring out what works best for you as well. So I guess, some people might have um, kind of the five minute rule where you say, right, I'm just going to do five minutes and then I can stop. And usually once you've got started five minutes later, you you probably keep going. And if you don't, well, at least you did five minutes. Um, or some people kind of set time limits like, OK, I'm going to work on a task for 30 minutes or one hour. So it's almost like a bit of a deadline that you're setting yourself um or planning rewards can be a common one like okay if I sit and get this done then I can go and see my friends um and things like I tend to do this one of get the hardest thing done first whereas some other people like to build momentum so you start with the easiest 
and you build your way up so then you're like feeling good like yeah I've got one thing done one thing done um so there are lots of different strategies out there it's kind of testing them out and picking out which one works best for you I think I love that so much yeah because there are so many different ways to approach it but it's finding our own unique um approach to it you know and for me a lot of it comes like being a sensitive person a lot of it comes down to this sensual experience of pleasure like what brings me joy what creates a sense of pleasure doing it you know um like mental it's almost like mental pleasure of like oh it feels so good to get this done right which is like some of the perfectionist Mm -hmm. side of it but it's also the ambitious side you know um and so I love that you shared those different examples and different ways to be able to overcome that and noticing uh, that it's uncomfortable emotions and learning to sit with it because that was definitely my aversion for a lot of different avoidance, um, avoidant tactics that I used mm-hmm. was because I didn't know what to do with it because in my mind, I want to be like, this is not something I can fix right now. So what do I do with it? I don't know. I didn't know how to sit with it. And that was one of the most powerful things about meditation for me as well is not making everything so much about who I am instead of, oh, this is a thought I'm having. Oh, interesting that this is coming up because I was so self-identified by I'm either doing good or I'm doing bad. And yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Being able to kind of label, okay, I'm having a thought that I'm lazy at the moment. Um, But again, rather than being caught up in it and feeling and thinking that I am lazy, just taking that little step back. My brain is having a thought that I'm lazy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. And this is where it all comes back to self-love of like, no, I'm doing... I'm doing a good job. And maybe there are areas that I could show up for myself differently, but let's acknowledge first, like the acknowledgement. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, actually I haven't mentioned, I did, um, when was it? I felt like it was like, was it the beginning of this year? I don't know. Time is moving strangely in the last year or two because of COVID stuff. Um, But I did actually do um, a mindful self-compassion course you know, Kristen Neff, queen of mindful self-compassion. And that was definitely a game changer for building self-love a hundred percent, because I think it is actually something that sometimes needs to be taught. You kind of need to, to learn it. But I love that, that actually, if you don't have much self-love at the moment, that it doesn't mean that that's how it will always be. You can actually kind of grow self-love which I think is lovely yeah thank god yeah (laughs) absolutely thank god that we can change and evolve and grow and yes definitely so what would you say like if there's one thing that you really wanted people to hear if maybe they have realized they do kind of have some perfectionism or you know if you, if you can like give them one thing that you're like, okay, this is something you could focus on or change, you know, what would be that thing you wanted them to hear? Oh gosh. One thing. And my brain is like firing off like 10 million different things, (laughs) but I'm going to sit with that and I'm going to pick one and I'm going to sit with knowing or sorry, not knowing, was that the perfect one to pick? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it would be, if we're thinking about self-love, I think it would be that 
absolutely working on your perfectionism and all the all the stuff that comes with it like procrastination or avoidance or people pleasing or being a workaholic all that stuff you absolutely can work on that and therapy is an amazing place for that um but I think also what is so important to do kind of alongside that is build self-love um and that you can do that by showing yourself love through your actions and I know I mentioned it before that idea of fake it till you make it I think some people sometimes don't sort of like that idea or they kind of feel like I need to feel confident before I go out and do a presentation whereas I would say go and do the presentation tolerate not feeling confident keep doing it and eventually you will feel confident so I guess it's kind of the same as self-love keep showing yourself um self-love do actions of self-love you know focus on self-care prioritizing yourself setting healthy boundaries being nice to yourself giving yourself a break letting yourself rest trusting yourself all those things um will over time build up your self-love and I guess the reason why I think that's so important is because I feel like self-love is almost um you could think of it like the antidote to perfectionism because at the root of perfectionism is not feeling good enough really um Mm. Beautiful. And I guess the next question that kind of leads into it um, is self-love is, you know, if you were to complete the sentence. Yeah. Self-love is an appreciation for yourself. So it's about being loving towards yourself, having regard for your own happiness. Um. Mm. I think that's what self-love is to me. And and then kind of adding on to that, self-care is doing all those things that show that you have regard for yourself, that show that you appreciate yourself. Um, so, yeah, I kind of think of self-care as like the doing parts. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I love that so much. Thank you so much, Natalie, for joining us on the that's podcast okay. today. I can't believe it's been however long right 45 minutes yeah and you have I loved every minute of it (laughs) yay I know that's like the I feel the same way like whenever I'm doing a podcast interview with someone it's like we get to have a little virtual coffee and I'm like ah tell me more but yeah time flies when I'm having fun right yeah it does indeed thank you so much for having me you're welcome. And you have a little free, a little freebie for the audience, right? The mindfulness for the modern woman. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So I, I've recently just launched this. So I'm super excited about it. It's my first freebie. Um, it's a free workbook, mindfulness for the modern woman. And essentially it's the ultimate guide to less burnout and more balance in seven days. Um So I think it's super, super relevant for perfectionists. But I mean, everyone else too, who doesn't experience burnout and who doesn't want more balance. Um, So it's it's a really nice sort of intro to mindfulness, particularly for people who maybe haven't tried it before and maybe get a bit freaked out about, you know, like what is mindfulness? How do I even practice it? Do I have to sit meditating for hours? Absolutely not. You can incorporate it in 
in your daily life in under five minutes each day. So there's seven different exercises for each day of the week. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And you guys, I'm going to be putting that in the uh, show notes right below. So you can be able to download that and access that. Natalie, where can people find you? People can find me on Instagram at the perfectionism therapist, although it's the dot perfectionism dot therapist. It felt like too much of a mouthful all as one word. I couldn't read it properly. <laughs> so I've got those dots in there. Um, and then also my website, natalieenglander.com. So if people want to check out one-to-one therapy or my eight-week mindfulness course um, and soon by the end of the year or actually I think it'll be January I'll be also a mindful self-compassion teacher and so I'll be offering eight-week mindful self-compassion courses once I've done my intense teacher training at the end of this year. (laughs) Amazing oh that's so wonderful thank you so much Natalie for joining us on Joyfully You podcast it has been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, guys, thanks for listening to another episode. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs to hear it, send it to a friend. Or maybe you yourself were just like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I needed to hear. Take a screenshot if you're listening on your cell phone, post it to your Instagram story and tag the.perfectionism.therapist and tag me, Kelsey Lowe Show. If you are listening to the podcast and you haven't connected with us on Instagram, I highly recommend that you do so because that's where me and Natalie got connected because that's where we're hanging out. Um, And so- Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode. I'm your host, Kelsey Lowe. You are listening to Joyfully You Podcast, and I will see you on the next episode.